Hola, and welcome to Spanish Answers, a podcast that gives you unas yavitas claves as you unlock your Spanish language adventure. I'm your host, Sarah with Language Answers, and today in episode 89, we'll be talking about back-to-school vocabulary. Since this is August, the month where many of us are going back to school, let's review some back-to-school vocabulary. We'll first talk about the different levels of school, followed by some general school subjects you might have so you can practice your Spanish as you get ready for the new school year. And the story format seems to be working well, so we're going to stick to that again for this episode. And we will also finally begin our cultural tip on Honduras. So let's begin. Once again, I would like to really apologize for this being late. I had several projects that needed completed and worked on this past week, and since those were paid, they took priority. But I have tried to fill this episode with a jam-packed full of vocabulary, so we'll see if that helps make up for it. Anyways, are you ready for the new school year? I remember always being excited to go back to school, ready to learn new things and see my friends again. Or perhaps you're more like some of my siblings, dreading the start of another school year. Whatever your situation, August is a month of new beginnings. Hopefully, today's episode will equip you with the Spanish you need to talk about them. So first, we'll start with education levels. Now, as with other story-formatted episodes before... I will read through the story or the paragraphs once, and these will include the English translations. And then on the second read-through, I will not have English translations or helpful tips and whatnot. And during the second read-through is when you can listen and see how much Spanish from the first time you absorbed. So let's go ahead and start. It can be difficult to translate between the different levels of education in the United States and in other Spanish-speaking countries, since the various systems don't necessarily follow the same rules. For example, Spain's education system has required attendance for educación primaria y secundaria, or primary and secondary education, which would look like our primero a sexto grados, so first through sixth grades, and séptimo a décimo grados, seventh through tenth grades. After that, Spain has two options students can take. The first is el bachillerato, which is kind of like el undécimo al duodécimo grados, or el undécimo al duodécimo grados, 11th through 12th grade. Sorry, got that Castilian lisp there, décimo. Uh, anyways, it kind of feels like 11th through 12th grades in Los Estados Unidos, the United States, but with the specific goal of taking the Selectividad exam to get into a university. Or students can go to option number two, Ciclos Formativos, which is basically vocational training. The first grado medio would be like 11th through 12th grade, but with a focus on vocational skills. And then they can choose to take an extended two more years, grado superior, if they want. And those who have their bachillerato could even take that. Side note here, there is a growing movement to promote and highlight la formación profesional, vocational training here in the U.S., which I think is awesome. Definitely need more vocational training here in the U.S. So for today's episode, we will just focus on the Spanish words for the U.S. education system. Many people begin sending their children to el preescolar, 
preschool, around the age of three, and then send them to El Jardín de Infantes, or El Jardín de Infancia, kindergarten, around five or six. Now, in Latin America, you might also hear it called El Kinder. At my school, kindergarten was considered a part of La Escuela Primaria, elementary school, which went from El Jardín de Infantes to El Quinto Grado, or fifth grade. And this includes El Primer, Segundo, Tercer, y Cuarto Grados, or first, second, third, and fourth grades. Some places in the U.S. also include El Sexto Grado, sixth grade, as part of La Escuela Primaria. At my school, however, El Sexto Grado was a part of La Escuela Intermedia, middle school, along with Los Septimo y Octavo Grados, so seventh and eighth grades. My secundaria, or preparatoria, high school, had Los Grados de Noveno, Décimo, Undécimo, y Duodécimo, ninth, tenth, eleventh, and twelfth grades. Now, just a note here, because the Spanish-speaking world categorizes their middle school and high school levels differently than we do here in the U.S., the terms are a bit harder to translate into Spanish. And why is that? Well, because when you're speaking to a Spanish speaker who is not from the U.S., you might use words in a way that they understand completely differently. For example, I found multiple translations for both high school and middle school as la escuela secundaria. This is because places like Spain and Mexico would consider la escuela secundaria to be los grados de sexto a noveno or décimo, depending, right? And our concept of high school in the U.S. is mainly their version of el bachillerato or la preparatoria. So if you are trying to tell someone from Mexico that you have a child in el undécimo or el duodécimo grado, but refer to them as being in la secundaria, they might assume that your child is in a grade before el décimo. It can be a little confusing. Other translations I have seen are to call middle school la secundaria and high school la preparatoria, or to call middle school la media or la intermedia and high school la superior or la secundaria. But I've also seen translations calling high school la media and middle school la secundaria. <laughs> it can get pretty confusing. <laughs> At school, I was taught to call high school el colegio, but after researching that term more, I discovered that el colegio really just refers to the institution of school, like la escuela, although there are some differences in their other meanings as well. So with all of that being said, what should you do? I recommend being really clear in your communications as to what you mean based on to whom you're talking to, i.e. where they are from, and how your school district has translated them. Personally, I prefer using la intermedia y la secundaria, or if you want just a simple reference for going forward, I would refer to both middle school and high school as la secundaria, and make sure you clarify your meaning by mentioning the actual grade. Anyways, back to the story. Once you graduate with your diploma de bachillerato, high school diploma, it is off to la universidad, college or university, to earn la licenciatura, a bachelor's degree. Another side note here, I don't think there's a difference between a college and a university in Spanish like there is in English. So if they say universidad, it could be a college or it could be a university. The exception to this is from Spain. They use escuela profesional to refer to a small university. Now, should you wish to go even further with your education, you could get una maestría, a master's degree, or un doctorado, a doctorate degree. All right, so there was our first reading. Let's go ahead and go through. And remember, this time I will not include any of the English translations or the helpful hints and tips and all of that. So 
It can be difficult to translate between the different levels of education in the United States and in other Spanish-speaking countries, since the various systems don't necessarily follow the same rules. For example, Spain's education system has required attendance for educación primaria y secundaria, which would look like our primero a sexto grados y séptimo a décimo grados. After that, Spain has two options students can take. The first is el bachillerato, which is kind of like el undécimo al duodécimo grados en los Estados Unidos, but with the specific goal of taking the selectividad exam to get into a universidad. Or students can go to the second option, which is ciclos formativos, which is basically vocational training. The first grado medio would be like el undécimo al duodécimo grados, but with a focus on vocational skills. And then they can choose to take an extended two more years, grado superior, if they want. And those who have their bachillerato could even take that. So for today's episode, we will focus on just the Spanish words for the U.S. education system. And I will try not to slip into the Spanish, uh, the Castilian accent, uh, but it is difficult when you're talking and just thinking about Spain not to do that. Anyways, many people begin sending their children to El Preescolar around the age of three, and then send them to El Jardín de Infantes around five or six. At my school, El Jardín de Infantes was considered a part of La Escuela Primaria, which went from El Jardín de Infantes to El Quinto Grado. This includes El Primer, Segundo, Tercer y Cuarto Grados. Some places in Los Estados Unidos also include El Sexto Grado as part of La Escuela Primaria. At my school, however, el sexto grado was a part of la escuela intermedia, along with los séptimo y octavo grados. My secundaria had los grados de noveno, décimo, undécimo y duodécimo. Once you graduate with your diploma de bachillerato, it is off to la universidad to earn la licenciatura. Should you wish to go even further with your education, you could get una maestría or un doctorado. All right, let's talk next about school subjects. Now, of course, this is not going to be an exhaustive list of all possible school subjects. Rather, it's a general compilation of the most common ones, or what in my mind is most common. I, But please, if I did not include your favorite classes, don't take it personally. All right, so school subjects. Un estudiante, a student, often has to take unas clases, classes in materias, subjects that he or she might otherwise prefer to avoid. For me, that was las clases de las matemáticas, math classes, like la geometría, geometry, or el cálculo, calculus, although I quite enjoyed el algebra, algebra. Now, just a quick note here before we go on, when you talk about a school subject, it is capitalized in Spanish. You don't necessarily need to put the articles, el or la, in front of these subject names, like with la geometría, and they definitely don't need to be after the phrase clase de, like clase de historia. You don't need clase de la historia. But I have gone ahead and included them in this section, the first reading, to help you with the genders. In the section without English translations, I have removed most of them. Another side note, algebra is a feminine noun, but you use L because the noun starts with an accented A, or sorry, accented A. A, algebra. So, Carrying on, for my husband, it was las clases del inglés y de la historia, history and English classes. I preferred las ciencias sociales, social science, as well as la clase del español y la clase del francés, Spanish class and French class. 
whereas my husband preferred la clase de la física y la clase de la química, physics class and chemistry class. He loves las ciencias, science. There is also la biología, biology, la informática, computing, la cívica, civics, la educación física, PE, and la salud, health. All required materias. There are also los cursos optativos, elective classes, taken just for fun. Los cursos like el arte, art, la banda de marcha, marching band, la orquesta, orchestra, el teatro, theater, la economía doméstica, home ec, la biblia, if you, bible, right, if you go to a Christian school, la psicología, psychology, la filosofía, philosophy, y la antropología, anthropology. And don't forget the language classes. My favorite. If I could have, I would have filled my schedule up with every language I could think of. Alas, my school only had el francés y el español. It wasn't until college that I got to dabble in el alemán, German. Many schools also offer el chino, Chinese, el latín, Latin, la lengua de signos americana, ASL or American Sign Language, or el árabe, Arabic. Other courses I enjoyed as un estudiante universitario, an undergraduate student, included my cursos de negocios, business courses, like el derecho comercial o el derecho comercial internacional, business law or international business law, and la publicidad, marketing. I did not enjoy la contabilidad, accounting. I spent a lot of time in las aulas or las clases, classrooms, with los escritorios, desks. Another side note, you might also hear in South America and Mexico el salón or el salón de clases. My husband took la química orgánica y la química inorgánica, organic chemistry and inorganic chemistry, and spent a lot of time in los laboratorios, laboratories. Other cursos might include las ciencias políticas, political science, la criminología, criminology, la ingeniería, engineering, la ciencia ambiental, environmental science, la arquitectura, architecture, la ciencia forense, forensics, el periodismo, journalism, el diseño de web, web design, la fotografía, photography, la educación, education, and la seguridad cibernética, cybersecurity. Super important one these days. As una estudiante graduada, graduate student, I was able to take cursos en la traducción y la interpretación, so translation and interpretation. I really love learning. I don't currently miss los papeles o las pruebas, papers or tests, especially los exámenes parciales y los exámenes finales, midterms and finals. I also don't miss the late nights, dragging la mochila backpack to la biblioteca, library, to estudiar, study, and hacer tarea, do homework. I prefer el horario, schedule, that I have now. But I do miss the thrill of los libros de texto nuevos, new textbooks, and new materias. Who knows? Maybe someday I will call myself una estudiante de posgrado, doctoral student. Maybe. Okay, so let's go ahead and read through a second time. And again, this time without English translations or tips and hints. Un estudiante often has to take unas clases in materias that he or she might otherwise prefer to avoid. For me, 
that was las clases de matemáticas, like geometría or cálculo, although I quite enjoyed el álgebra. For my husband, it was las clases de inglés y de historia. I preferred las ciencias sociales, as well as la clase de español y la clase de francés, whereas my husband preferred la clase de física y la clase de química. He loves las ciencias. There's also biología, informática, cívica, educación física, and salud. All required materias. There are also los cursos optativos, taken just for fun. Los cursos like arte, banda de marcha, orquesta, teatro, economía doméstica, biblia, if you go to a Christian school, psicología, filosofía, y antropología. And don't forget the language classes. My favorite. If I could have, I would have filled my schedule up with every language I could think of. Alas, my school only had Frances y Español. It wasn't until college that I got to dabble in Alemán. Many schools also offer Chino, Latin, Lengua de Signos Americana, or Arabe. Other courses I enjoyed as una estudiante universitaria included my cursos de negocios, like Derecho Comercial o el Derecho Comercial Internacional, and Publicidad. I did not enjoy Contabilidad. I spent a lot of time in las aulas or las clases with los escritorios. My husband took Química Orgánica y Química Inorgánica and spent a lot of time in los laboratorios. Other cursos might include las ciencias políticas, criminología, la ingeniería, la ciencia ambiental, la arquitectura, la ciencia forense, el periodismo, el diseño de web, la fotografía, la educación, and la seguridad cibernética. A super important one these days. As una estudiante graduada, I was able to take cursos on la traducción y la interpretación. I really love learning. I don't currently miss los papeles o las pruebas, especially los exámenes parciales y los exámenes finales. I also don't miss the late nights, dragging la mochila to la biblioteca to estudiar and hacer tarea. I prefer el horario that I have now, but I do miss the thrill of los libros de texto nuevos and new materias. Who knows? Maybe someday I will call myself un estudiante de posgrado. Maybe. That's all for today's episode. Well, that's all for the vocabulary part of our episode. What do you think? Is the story format helpful? Do you have thoughts and opinions on which words to use for high school and middle school? Please send me your thoughts and ideas and opinions all at contact at languageanswers.com. And now let's move on to our cultural tip on Honduras. So, today's cultural tip will focus on some basic country facts. Honduras' official name is República de Honduras, or the Republic of Honduras. It is 112,090 square kilometers, and according to the CIA World Factbook, it is just a little bit bigger than the state of Tennessee. It is divided into 18 departamentos, or departments. Location, it is located in Central America, right above Nicaragua and to the east of Guatemala and El Salvador. A small part of its western side touches the Pacific Ocean, but most of its ocean-facing borders are along the Caribbean Sea. 
Its government is a presidential republic, just like with the Dominican Republic. So the executive branch is not accountable to the legislature, and the government is elected directly by the people. But there are a lot of differences between Honduras and the Dominican Republic. The president is both head of state and chief of state and is elected via simple majority popular vote. The president serves for four years, and as of 2015, the Honduran Supreme Court struck down the Constitution's term limits for presidents. As of January 2022, President Iris Xiomara Castro de Zelaya, I apologize if I butchered that, she has been their first female president. There are three vice presidents and a unicameral national congress, Congreso Nacional, made up of 128 seats. So members of Congress are elected directly by, at least according to the CIA World Factbook, quote, closed party list proportional representation vote, unquote, for four-year terms. The judicial branch has the Corte Suprema de Justicia, or the Supreme Court of Justice, which has 15 principal judges with the court president and six alternates. The court president is elected by the other members of the Supreme Court, who are all elected by Congress for seven-year terms. The capital city is Tegucigalpa, even though the Honduran constitution claims both Tegucigalpa and Comayaguela are both the capital, but almost all of the government, governmental institutions are in Tegucigalpa. So there you go. The religion is mainly Christian, with evangelical and Protestant at 48% and Roman Catholic at 34%. The official language is Spanish and the currency is Lempiras or HNL. A brief history. Many indigenous groups lived in the area prior to Spanish colonization, especially the Maya. And when the Spanish took over, gold mining played a key role and made the Honduran town Gracias the capital of La Audiencia de los Confines, or Spanish Central America, in 1544. Honduras later became a province of the Kingdom of Guatemala. The British and Spanish fought for control of the area, with Spain coming out triumphant in Honduras. Now, Honduras gained its independence from Spain in 1821, only to join the Mexican Empire of Agustin de Iturbide in 1822. Then, in 1823, when Iturbide abdicated, Honduras formed the United Provinces of Central America with Guatemala, Costa Rica, Nicaragua, and El Salvador, all simultaneously declaring themselves independent of Mexico. It was supposed to be a federal republic, but tensions between liberal and conservative policies caused it to fail. And these are not the same terms as used in the U.S., so be careful not to confuse them. For example, Honduran conservatives tended towards monarchism. Anyways, Honduras then became an independent nation on November 5, 1838. While most of the political history after that deals with conservatives and liberals alternating being in power, things were a bit unstable. There was a military revolt in 1957, resulting in a congressionally elected president who in turn was overthrown in 1963 by a colonel. Then Honduras went to war with El Salvador in 1969 with the soccer war. Yes, there were serious underlying issues between the two countries, but a soccer game really did trigger the war. Yeah, basically... There was a lot of government upheaval, all with military rulers, until 1982 when Honduras finally elected a civilian government. Beginning in 1979, like going back a few years here, Nicaragua went through a violent revolution, as did El Salvador, and Honduras was an interesting cross-section for Nicaraguan guerrillas fighting against the communist Nicaraguan government, and Salvadoran forces fighting against their leftist guerrillas, as well as the workings of the U.S., 
So Honduras next went through Hurricane Mitch in 1998, which killed around 5,600 people, caused about $2 billion in damages, and ruined Honduran infrastructure, not to mention destroyed its economy. Politically, modern Honduras is still very unstable, with constant power struggles between the national and liberal parties, claims of unfair elections, violence, and protests. It is, at least according to the CIA World Factbook, one of the poorest Latin American countries, and it has one of the highest murder rates in the world. And that's all for today. Thank you so much for listening and for your patience and understanding. Please don't forget to check out the show notes for links to the resources I used for this episode. And if you'd prefer to read an approximate transcription of today's episode, you can also visit the episode's blog. I would love to help you on your Spanish journey. So if you have any questions about today's episode or even just on Spanish culture or grammar, you can reach me at contact at languageanswers.com or visit my website for more information. I can also be contacted regarding my services for Spanish to English translation, English technical writing, editing, and content creation, or even language consultations and tutoring for you or your business. Remember, learning a language is a lifelong journey. So please, aprovechalo, disfrútalo, y compártelo. I will see you in two weeks. ¡Hasta luego!